Hello, Duncan Green here. Um, stuck in a rather cold air-conditioned room in a baking hot manila. I've just spent the last week looking at a fascinating um, thinking and working politically program called Coalitions for Change. Um, and I'll be writing a paper and lots of blogs and podcasts with interesting people and things all coming up. But while I've been out of the UK, some really interesting stuff has been happening on the blog. So on Monday, we announced the new project. Um, we don't have a name for the project yet, but it's a project which is going to sort of change up from poverty to power and um, try and source much more content uh, from developing country thinkers and writers and source it in a greater variety of ways. So more audio, more visual, uh, just trying to sort of um, uh, catch up a bit, I think. Uh, the project's been funded by the Ford and Hewlett Foundations, and that's meant we've been able to recruit a really amazing Colombian woman called Maria Faciolince, who's going to, who's in charge of finding this top content and putting it up on the blog. So Maria and I are going to work together for three months and, and put up loads, try loads of different things, and then we're going to take stock and see what works, and then decide, you know, where we're going to go um, with the with the blog. Uh, if you like the sort of stuff I write, don't worry, I'm not going away. So we're going to sort of split it and, you know, have um, the guest posts and the guest content is going to come more from developing countries, but I'll still be banging on about my usual uh, hobby horses. So really looking forward to a, a moment of change. Um, and the initial post on Monday, even though it was April the 1st, no one seemed to think it was a joke. And we got loads of good comments and suggestions and we're still wrestling trying to find the right name. So if you do have any good ideas for a name, do, do send them in. Um, so then we put that initial description of the, of the, of the project into, into practice with a couple of posts. So on Tuesday, David Mwambari and Arthur Owar, two uh, East African academics, um, wrote a post with a very provocative title, The Black Market of Knowledge Production. Um, and they're basically lamenting uh, in fairly sort of sharp terms um, the state, the total mess of academic research in Africa. They said, what separates the foreign experts in inverted commas from the local expert, not in inverted commas, is in part money. So what happens is that foreign researchers who may not actually know that much about the country compared to a local academic, arrive with a big checkbook. They start hiring local researchers and those researchers become research assistants and totally subordinate to the, to the incomer. Um, and they then describe a, basically an ethical minefield, a total mess. So should interviewees be paid? Um, some academics think it contaminates the research. Other people say, well, why shouldn't they be paid? They're giving up their time. The researcher is being paid. What's going on here? Who decides how much local researchers are paid? Um, they're generally paid very little compared to the foreigner. Um, and then what about quality control? You know, if research becomes a business and local people are making, uh, find their livelihood there, There'll be lots of people coming in who aren't actually qualified, who aren't uh, real researchers, and you have all sorts of kind of problems of um, imposters coming in. So just um, a really graphic description of some of the challenges of, um, all the, of what is generally called field research in Africa. On Wednesday, I reviewed a fantastic book by a woman called Nanjala Nyabola, uh, a Kenyan woman, um, called Digital Democracy, Analog Politics, how the internet era is transforming politics in Kenya. Really great to have a discussion on the importance of online activism, 
in a you know in a developing country, and that's what she does extremely well. It also is a great introduction to Kenyan politics and society. Um, so Kenya's a great case study because it's it's a digital hub. Everything, yeah, you know, everybody's online, everybody's literate. It's the perfect conditions for a digital revolution, which is what it's gone through. You know, it's best known for all the mobile banking and the sort of crowdsourcing platforms like Ushahidi. So Nanjala Nyabodak uh, looks at what this means for politics, and it's a very nice treatment in that she avoids all the techno hype there. Woo, you know, poli uh, uh, social media changes everything kind of view. What she shows is that the impact is actually on the interaction between, as, a, as the title implies, on the interaction between digital and uh, traditional politics, analog politics, and that the impact is ambivalent. So, for example, on something like uh, ethnic tensions, um, a lot of people can reach out across ethnic divides through social media, but social media, especially in the sort of dark social media like WhatsApp, which is all very private, is also being used to stoke up ethnic divides. Um, so it's a great book, and I urge people to read it. It's really excellent. On Thursday, we reverted to um, FB2P as usual, uh, in the sense of um, not deliberately targeting content uh, from developing country writers. Um, the first up was Tom Kirk, my colleague at the uh, London School of Economics, who has been looking at a really interesting world vision um, project. They have a thing called a good enough content analysis for rapid responses uh, tool, which sounds a lot, which is a lot more interesting than it sounds. It sounds a bit techy, but what it is is saying, well, when something happens um, and you're taken by surprise, what do you do? And World Vision's got a technique for rapid. It's essentially a rapid power analysis and stakeholder mapping in a new area or on a new uh, new issue where they rush out and start talking to the people who they have good relationships with, faith leaders, local authorities, whoever it is, um, and, and try and work out what the hell is going on. And it's a very nice practical application of something Tom and I are working on called public authority, trying to understand how people... Uh, how power operates in these very messy places like the Congo, and therefore who to talk to to find out what's going on. And then on Friday, I think it's probably the first time I've had a night um, writing on the blog, uh, not, not in armour. Uh, uh, Sir Mike Aronson, the uh, former head of Save the Children UK, wrote a piece, which is actually quite uh, an anxious piece, I think, on child rights. And the, the reason for that is that uh, Save the Children is 100 years old this year. They're having a big event at LSE on Monday. And uh, Mike was writing about um, have we kind of, have the child rights activists lost their mojo? Are they as courageous as they were in, in, you know, in the early days when, uh, when Eglantine Jeb, the, founder, found the, the woman who founded Save the Children, was getting arrested all over the place? Or have they, has it all become a bit too comfortable and a bit too close to government? So I think um, uh, it's always good to end a week with some doubt. And that's what Mike did. So I'm going to go back to my freezing room and carry on writing up my notes from uh, this week. But I hope you have a good weekend. Talk next week.